0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on whose land this podcast was produced and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the commitment and sacrifice of First Nations people in the preservation of country and culture. This was and always will be Aboriginal Land.
1: With the vessel, guys, you are in enclosed spaces. Please ensure COVID safety, Okay, So you've seen our hand-sanitising stations around the vessel. Every time you jump in the water, uh, the crew will be going around and sanitising the vessel. If you do have any issues with that, guys, please feel free to come up to any of us. uh
0: Producer Nicole Hutton is on a boat heading out into the ocean just off Cairns.
2: It's full of families and tourists all hoping to catch a glimpse of the world-famous Great Barrier Reef.
1: As we are moored up at our beautiful Marino on Gimwe Walabarra Yirinji country, we also have Maningalpa Yirinji on this side. We have Girikanji off to the far beaches here, and then passing up these uh, corners out here, we're going to head to uh, Gunganji. All right, so Gunganji Sea Country today, guys. Uh, make sure you are using all of our recycle bins, all of our bins, putting all of your rubbish away. I know we're still on the boat, but a bit of wind can pick up any piece of rubbish and get it into the water.
2: I've been told it's the perfect weather to visit the reef. This boat belongs to Dreamtime Dives. How's everyone feeling today?
1: Yeah! Isaac, I think my ears are blocked again, eh? It's it's a bit weird, eh? Uh, Guys, like Sam said, you're going out to the Great Barrier Reef, right? So are you guys excited for today? Yeah! Yeah, that's how we're going, all right? By the end of the day, I'm gonna get all you guys screaming. Is everyone all right with that? Yeah. Awesome.
2: It's an indigenous tour operator up here on the reef. Each trip to sea is a mix of culture, storytelling and tourism.
1: All right guys, so that's our crew and we've all been given permission by the four traditional owner groups to share their cultural stories, their cultural connections to the land from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago passed to us uh, and hopefully passed to you guys today. All right, so don't be uh, hesitant to ask any questions, also any of our personal questions.
0: I'm Scotia Monkovich, and this is Creative Responders, a podcast from the Creative Recovery Network that explores how creativity in the arts have a unique role to play in disaster management. This episode, a story from producer Nicole Hutton. Nicole is a young Aboriginal woman from the Garoa people and she has spent the past four years working with other First Nations people to educate and campaign to mitigate
2: climate change. There's a huge role for art and storytelling to play in that fight. As I headed out to sea with Dreamtime Dives, the water around me was pristine and flat. Underneath the surface, the reef is teeming with life. There are thousands of organisms that call the reef their home. But as the climate changes, it puts the reef under stress. I went north to find out how Reef Coast traditional owners are using tourism, art and storytelling to educate people in order to protect the Great Barrier
0: Reef. As we see the increase in impact of compound in disasters, the inherent link to climate change is being pushed to the fore in broader debate. According to a UN disaster risk reduction report released in October 2020, the climate emergency is growing and has caused the number of natural disasters to double in the last 20 years. In presenting the report, UNDRR head Mami Mitsatori said, we are in the middle of the greatest disaster we and our children will ever witness, the climate emergency. And she emphasised that there is no good disaster mitigation governance without climate action. First Nations people have used storytelling for millennia as a way of sharing complex layers of knowledge about living with and caring for country. How do we centre First Nations knowledge in understanding the interconnectedness of country, arts and culture? In the face of climate change disrupting the deep connection between land and people, what role can creativity and storytelling play in this vital work? We asked Nicole to help us explore how First Nations stories not only share cultural heritage, but can also be used as a proactive tool to open engaged conversations around climate
2: change. Growing up in Townsville, North Queensland, I learned to respect and treasure the reef. But even though I heard stories, read books and watched movies about the reef, it still felt so far away. For many people, though, the reef is their home. This is Dustin Maloney.
3: I'm a Kukiyanji man and also a Yidinji man, but through my family's ties, I've got ties here also with the Yirukangi people in Cairns and also the Kungangi people over at Yarrabah.
2: Dustin's an Indigenous Tourism Guide for Dreamtime Dives.
3: What makes us different from the tourism industry up here in the far north is we have a cultural content that we provide throughout the day, so we share stories, um, local stories of the area. Um, We work alongside with some... We have our own marine biologist department also, so we share some of the scientific facts about the reef. We get to show... And demonstrate how some of our props that we use, like for example the didgeridoo, the um, clapsticks, our spears and shields, um, we actually got these things on board to show them what different materials that we actually use on a day-to-day basis.
2: Culture, geography, science. It's all part of the experience. But a huge element of these trips to sea is hearing stories.
3: I just look at it as me telling them a story and they're going home with something to remember. Not only... From what they've seen but also from what they heard and that makes me feel good because you know I've told a story and that story is going to stick with that person for as long as they can remember. The main thing I like to get across is no matter where you go in Australia, Aboriginal language was never written down. We did not have a written system for our language and the only way we'd actually share our teachings and knowledge is through our stories and through our dance. That's the main thing I like to get across to a lot of people and i fascinated on. It goes to show how, you know, how our knowledge gets passed down from generation to generation.
2: And the one that stays with you long after you leave the boat is the story of how the reef was formed.
3: Where you see the shoreline is today, it was way further back. It was uh, back to the continental shelf. And all the area from here out to the continental shelf, it was all livable, it was... You know, big grass, bushlands area. And the belief goes that um, one day a hunter from one of the tribes here, actually his tribe was actually going through a little bit of a starvation period. So what he did was he asked permission from the elders to actually go along the coastline, out where the shelf is now, to get some food to bring back for the tribe. And they told him, yes, you can, but there's one one animal you cannot touch. And they told him it was the, um, the black stingray. So, so okay, well, he went out, made his journey out. He went fishing all day. He, he was just coming down to the end of the day now, and just coming off the end of the day, the sun was a little bit, it was just setting, and there was a little bit of a glare in the water, but he seen something move, so he shot the spear at it, He didn't realise what it was until he got up close to it and it was the sacred fish that he couldn't touch. So with that, because of that, the stingray itself started flapping its wings and with that, the water started rumbling and it started to rise up. So the huntsman, he went back, made his way back to the tribe. He informed the um, elders of what, what happened and what he'd done. So what they did was actually lit up big boulders and actually rolled them into the rising sea and with that, that actually stopped the water from rising up, and these big chunks of boulders that they actually rolled in are the big patches of reef that you see here now there today. And that's our version of how the Great Barrier Reef came to be.
2: Hearing stories like this, told by traditional owners of the reef, I felt deeply lucky. Lucky that I'm travelling and listening to stories from First Nations people from different clans and tribes. As an Aboriginal person, I know how sacred our stories are to our culture. They are sacred stories that connect us to ancestors from many generations ago. The parts of the reef I went to on the tour were beautiful and vibrant. But elsewhere, the reef is in trouble.
3: So with the coral beach in the depends on the water temperature where you're at. If it goes higher than a certain temperature, the coral actually gets stressed out and once the coral polyp ejects the algae out, that's where you get the coral bleaching. That's why it just turns white.
2: Coral bleaching. It's often a controversial topic that you hear discussed by politicians or something that you hear about on the news. Pictures of stony white coral have come to represent the parts of our environment we won't be able to get back once our world heats up. The reality of bleaching on the reef is that it comes in cycles, similarly to other disasters. Climate change is threatening to make those cycles more frequent and severe. If we continue in the direction we're heading, we're exposing the reef to more bleaching events in the future. The reef is not dead and in many places, the reef is as vibrant as ever. But we need to take action now to protect the future of the Great Barrier Reef and all of the organisms living in it. The First Nations people who live on the reef know how far-reaching the impact of a damaged reef would be.
3: The reef is a good place to, for providing for food. Like, for example, if we lose the reef up here, we'd lose our fishing industry up here also. And not only that, but the cultural side of things, we'll actually lose a bit of a you know, piece of inside of us. Because the Great Bay Reef is the you know biggest living organism in the world. And then we got it here in our front yard. And if we lose that, well we're losing well, the best part of Queensland I'd say.
2: Um, I'm inside the art centre and it's so fresh and open and you can see so much of the greenery of the outside. Wow, they're so colourful. Great. I just got only
4: one here. All the rest go on, I think. One. One. Two. Yeah, one, two. One, two. One, two. Which, which ones
2: are yours? One of this, and this one here. In the fight against climate change, storytelling and art can be a powerful weapon. Conversations about climate change can be difficult. People have fiercely held opinions across the political spectrum. The radical changes needed to tackle this global problem are hard to grapple with. Art creates a space to bring nuance back into those conversations. It's a way of hearing each other's perspective Promoting action and understanding in these difficult spaces. The power comes from sharing ideas through connection and conversation. It's really apparent up north, particularly when it comes to the relationship people there have with the land and the reef. I've come to Hopevale, north of Cairns, to visit the Hopevale Arts and Cultural Centre. Auntie Gertie is showing me around. Hey, my name is Gertrude Deerall,
4: but my maiden name was Gertrude Simon. I was born in Bourbon. We do it there. We just sit down there and, you know, dye it, put it in that thing and hold it for a while. When it's dry, we take it. The girls put it up there, hang them on the line. Then. We put chairs, you know, make put chairs there, make this... Even a bit longer. Sit down there and do our work. I always be that side end.
2: Auntie Gertie is a talented artist, and her paintings are showcased across the country. They've also been turned into dresses. The Art Centre sits in the shade in the middle of Hopevale. It's the kind of place where I would like to pull out a chair and sit under the leafy trees. Inside is fantastically decorated, with one half dedicated to the artists and the other half a gallery with bright dresses and materials hanging up for sale. Auntie Gertie shows me a colourful balcony that contrasts against the bright green grassy backdrop. Wow, the balcony is so colourful. It's all painted rainbows. Rainbow. Oh, that's what I want to do, my random home. Uh-huh.
4: Painted like that. And paint the floor, you know. But I was up
2: and down. I was up and down, you know, up there, coming back again. Yeah. The art centre is clearly the heartbeat of Hopevale. It's filled with children and families. Well, thank you so much for showing us around. Lovely. It's so lovely here. Auntie Gertie's family live further north, and when she leaves town to visit them, the thing she misses most is the art centre.
4: And we missed it, you know, we always sit down, huh? oh, we miss going there. That's just the place for our meetings, you know, we meet and get together. Yeah. And we love it, meeting. Yeah. Here we, sometimes we buy, maybe meat or something, cook it here. Mm-hmm. Maybe do something, maybe stew and or something, and save it outside, we have a good feed. They bring fish, turtle, cook it up in a good old feed.
2: It's a place where the community come together and do what they love most: paint. When we talk about painting, Auntie Gertie has a broad grin on her face. It's clear how much this place means to her. She first started painting when she was young. Well,
4: when I was a school girl in school, you know, I used to paint. And that's how I learnt. People like
2: my you know
4: paintings. So, you know, I was surprised. But I didn't know I would
2: go that far. Auntie Gertie and other women from Hopevale sit around the art center, painting together. The favorite things to paint are the country, animals and plants of the reef.
4: Well they started first and got together and we sit around outside and, and Yeah, you know, we're happy. I join them here. So, Every morning we come down here, and from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is our shopping day.
2: When she was young, Auntie Gertie spent a lot of time on the reef.
4: Well, my mother is a talon person, you know. Talon is the reef. You know, yeah. that's her custom total, you know. And we call it talon. Person, you know. That's my mother. And and that's how I lived, you know. I go out reef fishing when I was small and we used to dive underwater and look around you know, and you could see down you know, on the reefs. Pretty. The great barrier reef they called it right after. You know? But we just do in in a little bit, and, and a lot of reefs out there. But now I'm scared too many crocodiles and sharks. I'm scared for the you know, waves might tip me over and I'll get drowned.
2: Now that she's older and doesn't go out to fish on the reef anymore, one of the last connections Auntie Gertie has to the reef is painting what lives in the ocean there. The
4: animals in the sea that lives, like. Um, Corals, fish, sea
2: turtle,
4: dugong, <laughs> whale, shark—all <laughs> those, you know, what I see.
2: Black like Dustin art and story is about more than creative expression. For Auntie Gertie, it's about memory.
4: It's important for us and to teach our young, young generation. You know. When we go enough, well, our children can look after them. you know, our kids, the next generation. You know, they go out hunting with a boat, go for turtle, to gong, and that's how they live, and, you know. Feed on, uh, feed on their, you know, feed their living from, fish, dugong turtle.
2: To Auntie Gertie and the people of Hopevale, the Art Centre is capturing their stories and displaying them to the rest of the world. I made some... Uh, we, we draw
4: down here to uh, do our materials. Yeah, materials. Mm-hmm. Paint, uh, you know what we want to draw, and then we'll put it on for material. And that they do it down there for us because oh, yeah. Yeah, we haven't got any things here to do that but uh, we just give our drawings and things to them and they'll get us uh, buy materials and they'll print it for us. Uh, uh, someone bought a lovely material and told Mally uh, it was mine they, they got the material for the hospital. Mm. They got it on the windows and on the shower party.
2: Through art, these stories of the reef reach a wider audience. Auntie Gertie's work has appeared across the country and even had some huge international recognition.
4: And this is another one, mine. That same one. Same I've one got one. only one, two and three. This one here? Yeah, that one.
2: And
4: these are what is this? Is this
2: a the same um, one? The pants. Yeah,
4: they pants. Oh, who makes the pants? They make it down. Down Brisbane.
2: Wow, there's some beautiful green pants with white drawings of wattle on there. That's so amazing. Wow, oh, and this three, is a dress four, here. Got left, that's all. Yeah, this, that's a dress. Wow, that's so cool. It's a re- it's a red dress with the wattle. Wattle. Wow! And they
4: then in when, where that place in Brisbane, you know that uh, what they had down there Olympic. Some some of the girls wore my dress and you know
2: on a catwalk. Yeah. On a catwalk, really? <laughs> yeah. Did
4: you watch it? No, we didn't go down for that. Yeah, they they was for that Olympic, you know? What oh, Olympic? When they had that what Olympic then. I don't know what they oh, had. Oh, yeah?
2: when was it? The Commonwealth Games. Commonwealth, yeah. They wore it at the Commonwealth Games.
4: Yeah, the girls dressed up, you know. Mm, the modelling.
2: Really? What? Which? Um, was it? Which drawings was it? These Wattle. Wattle. Oh, I think that dress.
4: This is a uh, Wattle. Wattle when you know. That's out in the bush, wattle. It's a yellow, big yellow. And that, you know, wattle tells us about when the the things are fat like fish and turtle, all those that tells us the fish is fat. We can eat it.
2: Hearing Auntie Gertie tell me this story, I'm hit with familiarity. I've heard many times from family members, elders and community members who have told the stories of the importance of flowers helping people hunt. They tell me that the seasons have started changing. Flowers are coming later and things aren't as in sync as they used to be. People can't rely on the methods that have been used for thousands of years anymore. This story is similar for many First Nations people across the country and it's caused by the same thing, climate change. It's people like Auntie Gertie who have seen these cycles shift over generations, telling these stories of change. Now it's young First Nations people leading the charge when it comes to climate justice.
5: My name is Jirichu Formal. Uh, I'm a Yidinji man. I'm here located in Gimoy, uh, Cairns.
2: Jurichu and his family have lived here in Gimoi for generations. Now Jirichu is standing up as a leader in the fight to mitigate climate change and protect the Great Barrier Reef.
5: Well, the reef, uh, not only just important to myself, but um, everybody that lives on the coast. Uh, I think it's just important to me just because as an Aboriginal person, we see it as our lifeline, like we see it as a... A supermarket where we can get fish we can also get medicines from the reef as well um, but it also just helps sustain the way of life i guess we use it for fishing um hunting gathering we're usually out there every day if not if we didn't have to work we would be out there every day yeah i know i would be um but yeah you're out there pretty much just fishing or getting crayfish or getting clams or anything else that you can really get your hands on really
2: These changes in nature, in the seasons and the environment, he's seeing them play out on the reef. On land, wattle blooms early, and under the sea, coral turns white.
5: Well, with the changes that I've seen personally, just a lot of the coral die off um, and the bleaching events that have been happening yearly and stuff like that, it's just a lot of species dying off now of coral and also the fish life that's around. Personally starting to see a lot of like the the sea life where you used to be able to go to one fishing spot and there'd be a variety of fish and now you're only seeing like two sort of species left there.
2: Juruju was a teenager when he first noticed the bleaching.
5: First time I heard about coral bleaching I was a bit younger than what I am now, I was still still in my teens and I didn't fully understand what was happening. I just like, okay, the the bleach in the coral. I thought someone was actually, like, tipping bleach on the coral. (laughs) I read up about it when I was older and I was like, oh, it's actually the warmer waters and stuff like that. Yeah, and I was like, we've got to do something about this.
2: The stories we've heard about the reef already tell us about its history. But there's another story being told, about its changing.
5: Storytelling is just a big part of our our culture. Um, Being Aboriginal and being an Indigenous person, Um, just like it is in any other Indigenous culture, I guess, that storytelling now brings people closer together. It's uh, oral history as well. It's also a record of what's happened, detailing things that's happened as well. I just like storytelling just to talk sometimes, (laughs) but also just to spread the message about what's happening, you know, like locally around here as well.
2: Those stories impress upon the listener. The importance of caring for the reef but they also stress the connections between the land and the reef. Jurichu is also an artist. His artwork is a modern representation of their community's ancient creation stories.
5: Um, The only artwork that I have now uh, that's visible to the public is up at the Crystal Cascades and that's just talking about our creation stories of the Crystal Cascades and how that was formed. But in saying that with Crystal Cascades as well, that's another lifeline that runs out to the reef as well.
2: Joju's own community isn't learning of this story from visiting the Crystal Cascades. This art has a different purpose, to stress that connection to the people who visit the area.
5: A lot of tourists go there, yeah, so it's important that we spread the message to tourists and people that are visiting uh, these areas to be respectful and clean up after themselves when they leave.
2: Coral bleaching has been bad news for reef tourism. One 2018 survey claimed that the reef was no longer among the top 10 reasons for Australians to visit Cairns. But for locals, tourism is a critically important part of the community. It's critical to the local economy, but also in sharing the stories of the reef and generating a wider understanding of its cultural significance and need for its protection. A lot of work has been done by tourism companies to demonstrate how much of the reef is still beautiful. This is where the conflict between conservation and tourism begins. Tourism brings money into the area, but doesn't come without its own harm.
5: It's a blessing that we get to see all these people from around the world to come and experience my country that's here in Cairns or Gimway. Um But the curse also being that we get a lot of traffic here as well, a lot of foot traffic. And whether that being the boats in and out onto the reef or a lot of foot traffic up into the Daintree or into the rainforests here. So I think it's just people need to keep in mind when they're coming here, although it is a a tourist hotspot that they are responsible for what they do when they come here and to have that in mind. So, yeah. I think um, just for tourists to have in mind that when you're visiting Australia and you're visiting these local places that, are, that aren't that are close to the big cities and they're off the beaten track a little bit, to be mindful that um, you, you are going onto sacred land sometimes um, and to seek the indigenous people that are there and to get permission as well, that's a big part of our culture is getting permission to be able to stay on the land.
1: This is the Great Barrier so that means it's quite important, right? We have some of the best biodiversity in the world, okay? We have so many pieces of coral, different types of fish. We've got turtles, who likes turtles here? Anybody like sharks as well?
2: My whole life I have learned about how the rapidly changing climate would impact the world one day. It's only very recently that I realised that no longer are we waiting for one day. That day is today. Bushfires, droughts, heat waves, and coral bleaching are all the result of climate change. As a young person, I understand how critical it is to make sure that we can pass things on to the next generation in the same condition that it was handed to us. It's completely possible. Bleaching is a cycle and it's not happening all the time. But the more frequent the bleaching events are, the riskier it is for the reef.
3: With coral bleaching, I think the last biggest one that we had here was during um, when Cyclone Yassi rolled through here. It was a little bit warmer than expected, and not only that, with the Cyclone come through, it actually destroyed a lot of the um, reef in certain areas also. But yeah, I think that was the last last big one and from there it's been just tragedy just going up and down and especially around about summertime like when water really gets a little bit too warm
5: For the future I hope that the reef is still there not only for my daughter but for everybody as well to enjoy because um, it is a very beautiful sight to see uh, especially when all your coral are in, full bloom and it's really bright and there's a lot of life and there's a lot of fish swimming around and you can see um, a lot of turtles as well just a lot of the marine life about it's really lovely Um, especially when if you're diving it's another world under the water like you block out the civilization that's around you and all you can hear is that real silent you know but it's beautiful that silence it's really nice so yeah I hope that the reef is there Uh, for my kids, um, but also for everybody else to enjoy as well.
2: Visiting and talking with so many First Nations people while recording this podcast taught me so much more than I ever expected to learn. Climate change is a huge threat, both to the reef and to tourism. For Reef Coast traditional owners, being in control of the tourism happening on their own country is a critical step towards self-determination. This enables greater cultural control in the face of climate impacts and centres indigenous-led sustainable mitigation programs. And for people like me, who have always dreamed of visiting the reef, I'm glad to know that there are First Nations leaders to show me around.
1: Sadly, I'm gonna have to say goodbye to you fellas. Oh, you're gonna get me all teary-eyed and all. But guys, don't cry just yet. We were just at the Great Barrier Reef, all right? What'd you guys learn today? Huh? Anyway. Lots, you guys learned (laughs) Lutz? All right, well, you guys learned lots? I
2: want you to feel that, feel all that, all right? Being able to put on a scuba suit and dive down under the water and see the reef close up was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. The silence down there made me feel like I was entering another world, one filled with color and crawling with life. Seeing this place up close and hearing the stories from traditional owners just made me want to fight to protect it that much more. Through art, through tourism, and through the history and creation of the reef, what's most important is storytelling. It's these stories that touched my heart and reminded me how important it is to protect the reef. It's an incredible place, and one day i want my grandchildren to be able to visit and see how beautiful it is
1: i want you guys to put on your on the energy and let it out all right so would you guys like a farewell yeah that's it that's it oh i've got a ring in my ears now from that that's awesome so as you guys know we're a very loud boat so we're going to make sure all these fellas in this marina know that we're back home Are you guys ready for that Oh, are you guys ready for that? Woo!
3: The most basic way I can put it is if you look after the land or and sea, in return it will look after you, and not only for yourself, but for the next generation that comes along. For example, if you have a, you have a nice home and you have a nice, beautiful front yard, now, if you let that yard go, it's, gonna, you know, it's not going to look good. So if you maintain the area, it's going to cut back the weeds and whatnot, It's gonna look beautiful, like for everybody to, you know, see.
1: Alrighty, so my two ballers here are gonna dance for us. Me and Laurie are gonna start with the clapsticks. You guys remember the beat? Woo! I'm pretty sure you guys are indigenous, eh? You guys are lovely. Alrighty, guys, you guys ready? Yeah! Alrighty, my ballers, are you ready? What? Alright, let's go. Thank you.
0: Responders is an initiative of the Creative Recovery Network, hosted by me, Scotia Monkovic. A special thanks to Nicole Hutton for producing and co-hosting this episode. We'd
2: like to thank Auntie Gertie Diral and everyone from the Hopevale Art and Cultural Centre, Jiraju Formile, Dustin Maloney, Trevor Tim, and the rest of the Dreamtime Dives crew. My parents who helped me record, Jean Lewis and Earl Hutton and all the traditional owners who welcomed us and showed us around their beautiful country.
0: Creative Responders is produced by me and my Creative Recovery Network colleague, Jill Robson, in collaboration with AudioCraft, with executive producer Jess O'Callaghan and sound engineer Tiffany Dimack. Original music was composed by Mikey Squire. If you are interested in supporting your community in challenging times, you can find out more about what we do at our website creativerecovery.net.au or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The Creative Recovery Network is assisted by the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts funding and advisory body. Next episode, we revisit the theme of self-care for artists and community workers in remote or disaster-impacted communities with the team at Willurara Creative.
4: One of the other challenges, but
5: also one of the other awesome things about remote life, is that you
1: are part of a community. And so the line between professional
5: and personal is almost non existent. And in fact, for you to do your best work, it has to be blurred. Because for Nanadata communities, everything is based on relationships, and that's
2: the most important thing.
0: Thanks for listening.